Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenimpressing, der Bundesliga Podcast. This is the main show. I'm Manu Feit and I'm today I'm not joined by Stefan Pienkowski because he is out partying it up at früh in Köln with Bayer Leverkusen. But that's okay because um, I got a great replacement, uh, Sepp Stafferblow from The Athletic. Sepp, we just hung out. Not even been that long. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. In the last seven days, I'm I'm still well. <laughs> <laughs> we actually managed to delay the the, uh, the recording of the podcast by quite an impressive sort of twenty five minutes catching up. Yeah, that's six days worth of catching up. So, six days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. literally side each other like last Monday <laughs> <laughs> in uh, Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, we have. You know what? Before we even like go into all the, the finer details and catching up even further, let's let's get paid first, and then uh, we can dive into because we into this podcast because we have a ton to discuss uh, this week. Um, so let's get our get the the business end out of the way first before we do anything else. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting actions and contests. NFL, college football, UFC and NHL are all in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends and predictions. All the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertip with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code Believe that is B L E A V. Believe for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, Sepp. Um, the last time we were hanging out, which seems like ages ago, but really is just six days. Was in Frankfurt. Uh, we were at the Classica together. Of course, we recorded that um, post game show with Matt Ford. We sadly, couldn't make it today, but he'll be back on the podcast soon. Obviously. Um, and then we both took in the NFL game between uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins uh, at the Deutsche Bank Park in Frankfurt. Um, I want to kind of start here because this has been fascinating. We both have been writing about this. I know that you did an article for The Athletic. I did something for Forbes yesterday. Actually, I did two pieces for Forbes already. And there's a third and a fourth in planning. Um this is, I find this really fascinating because we've got to sit down with several people that are involved in the NFL Germany games, right? Uh, we spoke to Lara Krug from Kansas City Chiefs. She's the chief of marketing. Uh, she sits on the advisory board, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we spoke to um, Pierre Naubert from the DFL, International Bundesliga International, right? Um, refresh my mind, who else did we chat to about this? We spoke to I think Tim Bennell from uh, I think that's Tim's name, Tim's second name um, from Tim Bunnell, sorry, um, from ESPN, um, who is very very interesting about Goal Arena and kind of broadcasting innovation, um, particularly with a mind on the Bundesliga's international audience. That was very very interesting. Um, we kind of had a lot of conversations among ourselves as well. Um, about the way forward and you know what I, when I when I went back through the audio I remember there's lots of audio one, yeah there's <laughs> quite a lot of audio yeah <laughs> um I think you have to you kind of have to distance yourself from your own opinion I think because I'm certainly of the mind that I would like the Bundesliga to stay as it is forever just you know in its current form and never to, to worry about um, what it has to do outside Germany. 
um, which is really, really strange because I'm an immigrant and I'm, this is not my home country. I moved here and I've become a sort of a gatekeeper, <laughs> which is terrible. <laughs> how, how British. <laughs> Gatekeeping somebody else's country. Um, but then you kind of, you also have to kind of, you have to temper that with your understanding of what global football looks like and what, unfortunately, the Premier League has done to the global football marketplace and, you know, how many different questions it's asking all the other leagues in the world. And, and ultimately, nobody has any answers for those questions, really. You and I have been in enough meetings where we've posed various um, versions of this question um, and no one has a satisfactory answer about what you do about the Premier League, in inverted commas. Um, and so learning about some of these things and some of the ways in which so behind the curtain Manu when I wrote my article um, I knew where the sensitivities were going to occur with the Bundesliga audience and I knew the moment I started talking about what the Bundesliga could learn from the NFL like that big alarm was going to go off in people's head be like no 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 we don't want we don't want monster trucks and cheerleaders and you know and I was like you know what it refers to is really kind of marketing techniques and how you develop brands in you know local regions and that kind of stuff but it was it was yeah it's very interesting how did you find it how did you actually how did you find writing about it i i was so i'm hugely fascinated by it and i think the conversations that we had with one another i think that became quite clear right um i mean i i live in north america i still spend about a good four or five months a year in 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 germany um but i live here this is my home and um, I do actually go to quite a few NFL games in in the United States, right? Because it's the Seattle Seahawks are just literally around the corner from where I live in Victoria. Um, and I find this... I, so I'm quite critical of the NFL in general um, and always have been. And so when I first heard this, um, every single alarm bell in my head went off, as you can imagine. Um, but... Um, I have to say that the arguments that were made were quite convincing in that Germans love NFL. We were at the game. We saw it, right? And it's also if you know the first the first touchdown happens and they go to they go to replay. And I I I do the franchise DFB, right? Because it just doesn't catch on at all. Um, because like the same people that would shout that at a Bundesliga game would not think about doing that in an NFL game because it's such a different experience. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, which then made me think, okay, well, because it's such a different experience, I actually think that they are not competitors at all. They won't be because like 90% of the time, they don't even play at the same time, right? Um, and I do think that they can all, the NFL has exaggerated, like has fully saturated their market in the United States. They are at a very high level, but they can't go any higher than this. You know, there's just simply no more TV revenue you can add. If they want to grow, they have to do it abroad. And Germany is the largest market in Europe, right? It's the richest and largest econ economy in Europe. So where do you go? You go to Germany, right? And they, I mean, they're the same in the UK. You have to go abroad to grow. Um, they're not going to compete with the Bundesliga in Germany. There's just no chance. The Bundesliga in Germany is what the NFL is in, in the US. So you piggyback on a successful brand here, right? And help look for Dobner to kind of grow. And the Bundesliga is doing kind of the reverse. And um, I've seen some of the numbers now. I'm not ready yet to publish them because I have to go through them and they're kind of like at the early stage. But Frankfurt and Bayern Munich both received an enormous boost from just having the game at their own facilities, right? And so we always talk about, okay, how can you make the Bundesliga more popular in the US where the Premier League is king in terms of soccer behind Liga MX, right? We have to remember Liga MX is, the, is by far the biggest. But you, you do it by jumping on a brand that's already established and is is present in the US market on television 24-7 and then you do it in a way that um, where you cooperate with something you can't, can't do with the Premier League obviously they're a competitor right but NFL isn't and I think that's a really clever way of being kind of like a Dortmund and also creating some really fun content that can really help you know you have the, the crossover content like last year for example with Bayern Munich with Bayern Munich in the States, they did like jersey swaps of Kansas City Chiefs, which is their partner club, right? 
Um, you can do like kickoff events where like soccer players try to kick a field goal and all that sort of stuff. I think I think it's actually quite smart, um, and it, I think it do, it's in a way where you do not necessarily um, because you need to stay organic. You just need to be able. You need to be your own brand still, right? Otherwise, what's the point of trying to sell it? You're actually doing it in a way where you benefit from an American brand without selling yourself out. Really tricky though. Really right? tricky. Because no, absolutely. One of the things I've learned is, and I'm still learning it really, but I've come from the kind of the, uh, I suppose in sports terms, um, the capitalist center of the world in the Premier League. And there's a standard for what is and what is not acceptable commercially. And and also, um, there's a there's a kind of there are various degrees of evil, um, in inverted commas, in the Premier League in terms of, you know, uh, if Airby Leipzig was in the Premier League, it would be like the twelfth worst thing about English football, right? <laughs> Rather than the worst. So I've come to a different country, and encountered a different attitude towards commercialism and, and a higher level of sensitivity, and so. Um, when you talk about things like crossover events and fun and piggybacking on other brands, it gets people's backs up immediately. Um, and I found one of the really interesting things was we also spent some time with Carsten Kramer, um, the um, co-managing director of Borussia uh, Dortmund, obviously. And one of the things he talked about, and in, in a way it's kind of, um, it's almost contradiction in terms, is that the selling point of BVRB is locality, right? And the geography and the rural region and Dortmund, the town and uh, the Westfalen study and, and everything about it. Okay. And that, but then he also talked about the importance of going abroad. And to me, that's such a, that's such an interesting contradiction because what you're selling abroad is locality back in Germany. And I don't quite know how that works. I'm, I'm fascinated. It's not that I don't think it can. I just, I, I'm really intrigued by whatever mechanism it is that allows people to buy into not Borussia Dortmund, the football team, and you know, in previous years, Erling Haaland or Jude Bellingham or James Sancho, whoever else, Mark Royce, but the idea of being a Dortmund fan, which is really what Carsten Kramer is talking about when he when he when he when he speaks of these things, and German football to me is like in terms of. It, it just seems a lot closer to its community than anything I experienced in the Premier League. In, the, in, in, in England, the idea of community belongs to antiquity. You sort of antiquated football ideas, and like you sort of back in during, you know, when, when there were Corinthian ideals and, you know, shirts used to have laces. It's it's a root, but it's not really active in the club's present day. It pretends that it is, but it isn't. It doesn't, you know, Premier League clubs are for sale to, uh, for whoever wants to pay the highest amount for a ticket. They're kind of indifferent to it. Whereas in Germany, you have this idea of not just regional identity, but different forms of regional expression too. So if you sit in a, you know, I'm lucky enough um, to go to Bundesliga games most weekends, and like, there's always something. There are big kind of macro protests, DFB, DFL, you know, like whatever the, the current issue is. Um, but there are also things which are important to people, people locally. And so I just wonder how easy it is to grasp those things from abroad and, and this seems to me seems to be the key in growing the Bundesliga which is important is allowing people to understand kind of those dynamics and and the function of the Bundesliga and and how important it is and a kind of a really deep level and I don't I'm not smart enough to know the answer to that question but it's really interesting it's a tough sell um yeah you know I actually think that you know I lived in in the UK for some time as well um and you know now being in North America, um, where North America really is, it's a Canada and the United States, right? Um, if you want to be, include Mexico, that's fine too. Um, but it's also the province of British Columbia, the state of Washington. You know, um, these are the two closest ones. That's why I'm naming them with their own li little regionalisms, um, which is very, actually very similar to to Germany, right? That um, Germany is a country of many countries. So is you can say the same about Canada and United States individually. And I think that is something that you can sell to North Americans in some ways. Um, 
you know, the U.S. in particular has a very strong German heritage. That is something that you can sell as well. Um, NFL is tricky because NFL is obviously quite corporate, even though they try to pretend that they're socialist. They, obviously, their 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 system is uh, it's it's very competitive, which is great. Um, but it's also about maximizing uh, profit, right? Um, which is a fine line that you have to walk. And I mean, it's the same line that the Bundesliga walks in many ways as well. Um, but you can, you know, college football has that same sense of community than the Bundesliga does. Because like once you went to a college, you're always part of that alumni group, right? And you always support that team um, no matter what. So that if you can tap into that a little bit. And I think too, what you mentioned about Borussia Dortmund, I thought it was really interesting. You could see the struggle that Carsten Kramer was facing with this because... He said, like, oh, we would never have an NFL game in at the Signale Duna Park. And then he named all the reasons why not. But then he also said on tape that if I asked that question in five or seven years again, he maybe his answer would be different. And we do know that the Seahawks were there and they did have discussions, right? Um, but I also know that the moment they announced something like that, um, you can just know what happens at the yellow wall. <laughs> When I, I find it really interesting, we, we, we were, there was, um, I forget which one, it, which, which meeting it was, which conversation it, it came from, but we were having a conversation, I think it was with Pear, um, and we were talking about the Super Cup, and we were talking about Christine Seifert's never ever comment from all those years ago about, you know, a Bundesliga game migrating outside Germany, and um, we were having a conversation very much in the abstract about the Super Cup being somewhere else, and there was a moment where Pear kind of he talked about, well, maybe maybe this isn't such a never-ever situation. And then I listened back to the audio and he, and, and he very quickly corrects himself and says, well, there's nothing on the table. We're not talking about anything at all. <laughs> and it's like, I don't blame him one little bit because it, it's it's an area of such sensitivity. And also, it's the first domino money, right? Like the Super Cup goes abroad and all and of a sudden... Bayern would move it abroad right away. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have Andreas Jung on tape from the Super Cup when we were both there where he said we should play this abroad. And then we have Carson. I, I interviewed Carson Kramer in San Diego. And then obviously he underlined this again um, when we were there this last weekend. Um, no, <laughs> you're not moving that abroad. <laughs> so you have the two biggest clubs in Germany at quite opposite positions right there already. And that makes it really difficult. I think... Um... I got a lot of time for Carson Kramer. I, I could, I, I think I could speak to him all day. He's he's such an interesting forthright person, um, and he's again sorry for the comparison to English football, but he's an executive who thinks about what he's saying. He thinks about what you've asked him, and he gives you a response to that question rather than he doesn't just um, bat you away as as kind of is the tendency back in the UK. And whether you agree with him or not, I've got a lot of time for that kind of, that sort of, that openness of, of uh, discussion, I guess. But it's also, you have this very narrow operating um, threshold parameter, I guess, if you're, if you're someone in that situation. Like you have, you have these objectives and you have this kind of, this gap to buy Munich and you have the need to grow the brand. And yet you have these constraints, which you, you know, mean you must never compromise a, um, a you know an identity in pursuit of um commercial growth and I, I i'm fully support that i'm absolutely on the fan side with that i couldn't agree more but it's it's interesting to watch like you say someone within that situation trying to kind of um juggle all of those uh, ideological balls all at the same time and says so it's, it's very interesting it's really hard because like yeah. at the same time um you know maybe like final point on this because we before we move to the actual games but you have two clubs that in germany that have you know i think of st pauli and dortmund here that have a very strong brand that is very organic and very mm, different than the other clubs right dortmund is very working class that industrialization of the Ruhr and all that sort of stuff at a milan tour obviously being located um inside one of Hamburg Cedia parts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, you know, with a very strong kind of an the anarchy movement and all that sort of stuff, right? But at the same time, both these teams have done a very good job um, developing a brand that is quite commercial, you know? And that is maybe where the... Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund is a quite a commercialized club and it, it's the only club in German... Germany that's on the stock exchange 
right? So you have that too. And I think that they almost, um, they do, they're, they're trying to say that they're not commercialized, but they are. Um, and that is like, that's where I always kind of, sometimes I have to roll my eyes when they're, <laughs> when they try to differentiate themselves from Bayern Munich, um, who are probably even in a many ways are more traditional than either one of those teams. I, I find it quite interesting when we talk about, um, commercial tactics and I suppose what's often sold as a, what's often presented as a bit of a soft sell. And sometimes I feel like saying, yeah, I, I, I read the Deloitte money report too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I've seen the statistics and the numbers and, and like, um, you know, uh, I, I think you and I may have even said this to, uh, to each other, but it's like, you're doing more than shaking hands and kissing babies, right? When you, when you have that kind of commercial revenue coming in and, um, I don't, I don't blame anybody for that because this is, this is the game that's been created. And, um, these clubs did not create it. Um, maybe Ili Hannes might have done in German football context. Um, but, uh, you, you have no choice, but to kind of, to tread this this path now so it's 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 very interesting and it's um i i don't think there's a right answer i don't think there's necessarily a right way to behave and i i don't i would never criticize a, an executive for the way they 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 sort of tread this line but it's um it is compelling to watch as as sort of theater press conference theater we can call it i guess Dortmund have 190,000 members that's hard to please Bayern announced 318,000 members now in their latest agm that's it it it, it. It is, you know, there's a lot of voices inside these clubs that you have to appease. It's very tricky. Um, but yeah, let's move move on to the, the actual stuff that happened on the field. Let's talk about Bayern first here. Um, they win. Yes, they did. They did indeed, yes. Against Heidenheim. And that's great. You know, Kane with another fantastic performance. He's now sitting on 17 goals. Although, and we're going to talk about Gorassi in a bit, he's not quite as efficient as Gorassi. Scores every fifty-two minutes. Gorassi is at, at every forty-five. Just wanted to point that out here. Um, so Kane, once again, fantastic. You know, Sep. At some point, Stefan, you, and I need to sit down and really they do a deep dive into Harry Kane and all the things that he has done at Bayern Munich, um, because that's worth an entire podcast. So I don't want to dwell on that too much because I do want to talk about Heidenheim because they go into the Allianz Arena, they go down two 0 they make it two-two. Put up a really good bite. I know you um, planning something on Frank Schmidt. Um, so I kind of want to talk about Heidenheim here and the fact that they have done really well this season. It's been a joy to watch because I had them go down, you know, 18th, done. Um, but they play such well-structured football. And you, we've seen Darmstadt at the Allianz and we've seen Bochum at the Allianz, 7-0 and 8-0, right? Um, it never felt like it would be like this with Heidenheim at all. No, and I'm not just saying this because I'm 48 hours away from interviewing him, but um, enormous credit to Frank Schmidt for what he's done because I, I think um, we can get onto the tactics later, but I, I think when you're when you're in a when you're when you're at Darmstadt or a Heidenheim, when you're a club of that size and you go at the Allianz Arena, I think it's really easy to fall into a little bit of a day out mode. Um, and this isn't just true in Germany, it's true in all the major leagues where there are superpowers. And I think especially when you go when when you go 2-0 down and you've conceded, I mean, the first goal is of ludicrous quality from Kane. I don't I watched it back, I just voice our recording, and I don't think there's anything you can do defensively about that. It's just too good. Um like the heart in Heidenheim and the fact that even when they're in adverse situations, the level of organization within their defense without the ball never really falters. Also, um, I was having a little look through um, some of the Opta data at the end of the weekend, um, particularly relating to kind of um, the speed of ball movement up the pitch and how many time, how many touches it's required, how many touches teams are using and attacking moves. Um, and on the one hand, you could say that Heidenheimer are a direct team. On the other hand, like there's a lot of accuracy in their attacking football too. It's quite um, rudimentary, and it's um, it gets to the point quickly, should we say? Um, but there's a lot of precision too, and I, I think um, underpinning that organisation, yes, but also work rate. Which when you get to November, Manu, and you're two down in Munich, and you think oh, international break in 60 minutes time, let's you know let's ease off a little bit and sit behind the ball. 
they didn't do that and um i think they've won um i, I too thought they'd go down but i i, I think um they're very likable in a way they're a human football team and there's all these little stories that the, the player that um the player that's really kind of captured my imagination is um it's not particularly original but uh Jan Niklas Beste just because I, I think um I'm, I'm a sucker for a player that that I don't know who plays with a kind of uh, a level of quality that I didn't know he possesses um Tim Kleindienst knew he was going to do quite well and a sort of like you know that sort of um that forward who sits at the top of the Zweider Bundesliga and, and the, the, the kind of the bottom half of the Erste Bundesliga. Like, I think we've seen that before. Um, I don't know what we can call that. Maybe the the, the Nicholas Fulkrug dynamic, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I really like watching them play. And I also really admire the fact that outside of that game against Augsburg, um, when they got an absolute battering, um, they've been very competitive, more so than I thought they would be. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I mean, um, I think that they they they're very well structured. Um, you know, they they have you can you can see Schmidt's handwriting all over this team, and I think it's it's to his uh, credit that he that he managed to take the system that he's obviously perfected in the second Bundesliga over many years. Um, I think he's always only played there and coached there. I, he yes, was in some lower yes, level yes. teams, right? But he's yeah. been there for over a decade now. Um, he's been there since 2008. 2008, um, so yeah. So he's he's the longest serving manager in German football history. But he's played there before. He was it's, played there. He's he was actually yeah. born in Heidenheim too. Yeah. So, so he's um he yeah, is Heidenheim. I mean he is the mayor of Heidenheim. Yeah. He's the mayor of Heidenheim. It's um but, and you know I don't think there's ever going to be a Heidenheim after Sankt Schmidt. No. Um, sure. But you know it's just the, the way that he there's there's a, a well known documentary called Trainer and Frank Schmidt plays a big role in that right. I think he came out around 2013, 2014 about coaching in Germany. And um, he's, I think, maybe the only survivor of that in terms that he's still with that very same club. But you just see the handwriting. And I, I seen them a few years ago, they played Bayern Munich in the DFB uh, Pokal, a game that ended 5 4 for Bayern Munich. And, you know, um, even that game, they, they just stuck to their guns. They played their structured football. They never gave up when they, when they, when they went down goals. And, Ultimately, yes, they went out, but still it was a, a very spirited performance. And you saw it with this one too. And you just, there's certain players that are just typical Heidenheim that kind of fit Mitt's persona. I think of someone like Leonard Maloney, who's now a US men's national team player, right? Born and raised in, in Berlin, but um, now plays for- Father is American, I think. Father is American, yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, is eligible for the United States. And let's be honest here, he, he's not going to play for Germany because, you know, I don't think the talent level is there. But he is such a hardworking player and he does give something extra to the team and he sits there as the sole number six and puts in such an incredible work rate every single game. And, you know, this this team is full of full of players like that. They kind the, of remind me... The team me, of Leonard Maloney's is, yeah. is what you... Well, they kind of remind me of when Union Berlin went up, right? Yeah, um, we talk, yeah. We're going to talk about Union Berlin in a little bit, but um, they, there is a sense here that they are much bigger than the sum of their parts. And that's because everyone buys into what Schmidt is selling. And, you know, if, if you play into that system and you, you put in a very hard work, right? They, write, they run five kilometers more than Bayern did in this particular game, right? Um, and that just shows you what it needs, what, that they know what it takes to actually survive in the Bundesliga. If they survive in the Bundesliga, that'd be the, club's biggest success after promotion with uh, it's interesting you bring up Maloney because to me um think back to that game that Heinheim when, when they beat Union 1-0 and I remember watching Maloney was just before he got his call up and I think like if you weren't watching properly you'd say he's just a stopper right he, he's not he's not he, he could pass the ball a little bit but like he's not considered a ball player even though actually when he was a bit younger um there wasn't you know, it wasn't John Stones necessarily, but he he had a kind of um, artisanal quality um, to his ball carrying. But he actually really plays two roles for the Heidenheim team at the same time. Like he, he's number six, but he's he's also he's really a third centre half for most of the game. 
Um, and there's a lot of discipline involved in that. It's not just, you know, it's not just about being a big hulking body who gets in the way and he wins aerial duels and, you know, can um, repel attacks and and deal with an opposition shelling the penalty box. Like, there's a, there's a real discipline to plugging up holes in the middle of the pitch. And he's done that incredibly well. And he too is a credit to his manager. And I feel like I wrote about this at the time, like, it's a huge deal for Heidenheim to have a senior international footballer. It's an amazing accomplishment. And I feel, I don't think this is this is necessarily, I think this is a problem that's been created by the game over many decades and that um, you and I are the same age. And when I was growing up, the player winning an international cap was a moment, right? It was a huge deal. Like it was, it was they weren't just handed out um, charitably. Whereas now I think like um, in, a, in an era where there are so many games and you need a big squad and you just need to know all of your options and, and that kind of stuff, I think we can become a little bit blasé about what it means to become an international. And also the journey that precedes that, and Lennon Maloney is a great example of that, um, to kind of to go from where he was and where Heidenheim were um, and to come into this league and to be sufficiently impressive within it, within a side who are so overwhelmed uh, financially, resource-wise, that you stand out. That's a, a real accomplishment. Um, and yeah, for, for Leonard Maloney, of course, but, but Frank Schmidt too, because um, yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't happen. There should be no one in the Bundesliga, this team. Um, uh, that, it, it reminds me of when uh, 1860 went up uh, after the 93-94 season and 94-95 was their first year and um, the big deal that was made when 1860 signed their first player to a million Deutschmark contract Piotr Novak um, and um, the first time they had a national team player which was Bernd Meyer the following season the goalkeeper he was the third keeper for the German national team and how big of a deal that was um, and a kind of Heidenheim kind of brings me back to that um, and that was a kind of like the work ethic too that um, 1860 had and I mean Union Berlin is the other good example right to sustain the league and survive in the league actually for quite some time um, and obviously then at some point they grew and became bigger and they lost their ethos uh, which then also turned to their downfall um, which is of course also maybe something we need to discuss about Union Berlin but um, I looked at the Bundesliga match facts Sap, and the uh, distance covered by every team and Heidenheim sit first with 1,352.5 kilometers covered. They are ahead of Hoffenheim and they are ahead of Union Berlin. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. Bayern Munich a second last, last is Darmstadt, which uh, is quite damning. That is quite damning when you're that a team that me. needs to survive in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Heidenheim was a third in intensive runs with 8,318. Uh, first is Wolfsburg, second is Frankfurt. That doesn't surprise me. Frankfurt is a very hardworking team. And Heidenheim is second in sprints as well with 2,697, um, just ahead of Bayern Munich with 2,650. I mean, um, that's not a shocker either. Wolfsburg are first in that statistic. But, you know, it, this, this, all of this, what I'm saying, underlines how hard this team is working every single match day to just survive in the league. Yeah, and I, I suppose with that comes a caveat about longevity just because what happens if, not necessarily injuries, but um, what happens when the season catches up with you? What happens when your morale gets bruised? Or what happens when, you know, we're in February or March? Um, but I feel like I feel like viewing them from that perspective or in those terms is a little bit churlish just because, well... That's hypothetical. That's not what's happening at the moment. At the moment, um, it, the, the league is very congested, so the positions are, are almost worthless. But um, the teams, in, who, they haven't really been considered at any point to be a team in crisis. Um, like, obviously, we're, hang on, we know we're going to talk about Union, but um, Cologne, clearly. Uh, Mines, mm, you know, let's see, just because uh, one win is, is great, but let's see where they are in a few weeks' time. Um, Darmstadt you've talked about Bochum um, not great you know there, there's a few teams down there who yes absolutely um, that you that you'd, you'd worry about and, and it's kind of amazing that they're not one of them at yeah, the moment no. um, 
Like but I do. Would they, would they be in crisis if they would be down there? No, I don't not think at all. So. Not at all. Like I, I, I just mean in terms of crisis is completely the wrong word. I, I just mean that like I didn't expect us to be in November and 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 me saying, well, I I think they'll probably survive because that's a. I know I'm surviving the Bundesliga this season. It's kind of like I know I'm winning the Bundesliga this season. Like it's, I would equate it to the same level of achievement, or at least like finishing in the Champions League places. You know. Yeah. No, absolutely. They have been a, been a great story. Absolutely. And one that yeah, I'm really curious about your article on The Athletic um, about Frank Schmidt when it comes out. Um, I think you will have a lot to chew on there when once you talk to him. Um, but, Seb, we also need to talk about the other really good story in the Bundesliga. Yeah, let's talk about Volker Stuttgart next because, um, you know, when you look at their shot efficiency, um, they're just plus zero one. Um, there's been such an incredible oil machine, but you know, the, thank God their talisman striker Seho Garassi is back. His shot efficiency is six plus one. Shot efficiency Zep is essentially just it's essentially just like the XG outperformance of XG right from the Bundesliga match facts. Um, even without Garassi though, Zep they've been incredible, an incredible team to watch. Yeah, probably in a way that some of the results don't reflect money because I think they're. Yeah. Two ways of looking at Stuttgart. Uh, the first is obviously where they are on the table and and their performances, uh, win, wins and losses. Sorry. The second is the quality of their football. And if you take Garassi out of it, and obviously yeah. for good reason, he attracted an awful lot of attention um, through the early part of the season, and deservedly so because he's he's finished so so well. But I've loved watching them play. Like the axis behind him, I really love. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Like. The um, Fürich um, Milo Silas dynamic behind him is fascinating, just mm-hmm. because three such different players. Um, every time I see you, I bore on about Angelo Stiller, um, who actually I know we're going to talk about Germany later. I thought it was a little bit unlucky not to get called up. Well, um, especially after Fürich wasn't like he Fürich is becoming a father, right? So he can't make it, and they called up Bremel instead, and I think that would have been a good point to call up Stiller. Yeah, well, also uh, Felix Mecha drops out as well with mm-hmm. injury. And Stiller, to me, um, he's still 22, so he's got you know plenty of time. I just think the way he's playing for Hennessy's Stuttgart really suits what Nagelsmann will want Germany to be, just in terms of how progressive his passing is. He passes the ball forward and through the lines, like the perfect Nagelsmann number six. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been terrific, and I... I just think the way they moved the ball compared to what they were pre Hernes and how they were kind of sit and cower behind the ball and wait to just really just use their speed. Um, there was very little else to them, actually, um, compared to now. And also compared, you know, remember this is a team that lost Endo in, in the summer and given how important he was to that team. So they've rebuilt the middle of their side and the performances and the, the, the quality of the football. We talked about efficiency. This game, the amount of chances, like the first chance that um, he I pushed wide of the right post, I think. When he went through on goal, he just side-footed wide of Kerbal's far post. Um, Kerbal had a good game too. Like the, the, Their chance creation was just superb and they're mm. so entertaining. And Garassi's just part of that story. But um, I, I think I like this game because it showed that they weren't just about a single forward scoring at a phenomenal rate. Which is kind of like for people that haven't really been watching him, of watching them, sorry, that's been the accusation, which is quite annoying. Um, I don't know why I get annoyed about that on Stuttgart's <laughs> behalf. <laughs> I could not possibly live further away from Stuttgart in Germany, <laughs> um, up in Hamburg. But um, they 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 look terrific. Hey, Milo is a Milo can play. Love him, love him. I saw him at that uh, the relegation playoffs. Yeah. For the first time live, because I went to both those games, and yeah. it was impressive. 
just far um, too good for for Hearts for that night, right? Like, yeah. just I mean, the entire team was far too good. Hearts yeah, it's, football. it's true. Over the full 180 minutes, it was. You, you know, that's the first time when you could tell that the Stuttgart side was going to do something special this year. Well, it's kind of it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think it's a measure of um, measure of Hunus's impact. It is that um, when they fell into that relegation spot almost by chance. Um, I think every Hearts fan thought no chance, absolutely no chance. It's too much pace. There's too much organisation. There's too much quality, and it's exactly what it proved. It was it was never close as a game. There was that sort of brief period in the first half of the second um, second leg at the at the Volks Park where you know things looked a little bit dicey, but I don't know. There um, was when you when you take the Hurners table from last season, I think they were fourth in the Bundesliga yeah. standings. Yeah, which surprise, surprise is exactly where they're now. Yeah, just the terrific, a, a really good story, and also like I feel like um, I don't know quite how I quantify this, but it does just feel like a better Bundesliga when Stuttgart is strong. Um, it's a really cool, loud terrace down there. Um, I was I, I went for the first time for the relegation game, and it was just really impressed. Very dusty stadium though during the renovation. Uh, I, it's going it to be terrific when it's done. It's terrific. Yeah. It's going to be terrific when it's done. But that stadium, um, as great and beautiful as it is from the outside with that beautiful roof, and you know, yeah, it yeah, hasn't yeah. had a facelift since 2006 for the World Cup. So definitely overdue. But the Karnstadter Kurve, as you mentioned, um, that's one of the best stands in, in the Bundesliga period. Yeah, well, I was uh, the first time I was there, the first time I actually met our friend Matt Ford in, in real life, yeah, and yeah. he was telling me about it. And uh, yeah, I've got a few pictures on my wall here at home um, of <laughs> uh, the whole terrace in flames. It's just amazing spectacle yeah. and so loud, um, so so loud. Um, but a great place. But uh, you know, they've got they've got a team that they got a team that um, does justice to the environment. And um, yeah, I could watch them play football all day. They're just um, whether they're scoring goals or just creating chances. They're they're uh, they're a delight. The question is for me, like, where does this end, right? Because, like, yeah. um, I said they're fourth, they're actually third <laughs> in the standings, just ahead of um, of Leipzig. Uh, Dortmund now out of the top four, which, again, too bad Stefan isn't here because, you know, he's... <laughs> get into him about that. Yeah. Yeah, we get to butcher. We can, we can get we can get uh, to Dortmund after the international break. Let's leave poor Eden Tezic alone for just a week. Um, because... This is such a good story, and Stuttgart. Obviously, it you know the way it all materializes right now, it looks like a title race between Leverkusen and Bayern, right? There, it's just so far ahead of everyone else at the moment. But the Stuttgart side, I guess, what is the ceiling for this team? Because you know they now have an international break, which means they they can heal up a little bit. Um, Führich isn't going, or maybe going. I think that he's questionable, right? It, it all is a touch and go thing. Um, did his partner give birth today, or is she about to? Or it's just um, I don't. I I, I saw the story, but I didn't read it for properly. now. Remaining in Stuttgart, but there is hope right. that maybe he's going to make the second game. He remains right. part of the squad. Uh, okay. Bremel has Bremel was the he got called call on today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just in case. Um, but like at the same time, you know, if he doesn't go, Hernandez is probably not going to be sad about that either. It's just, you know, what is the ceiling for this team? Because, like, as I said, like, their standings last year, if you just take the Hoeneß table, they were firmly in the top four. Is this where they're going to end up? Or is Dortmund going to muscle their way back in there? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of couple of variables in here. Like, we've talked about... Yeah. Um, so, Furik, there's, there's a sort of tendency to think of Furik as being... Very young, it's mid twenties, twenty six, twenty five, I think. Twenty seven, I think. Okay, yeah. But Milos Stiller, twenty one, twenty two. Um, I, I thought actually one of the great stories of the weekend was um Dan Axel Zagadou playing well. Like I was lovely because he got against Dortmund. <laughs> oh, just they just you wouldn't wish that on anybody. That that yeah. sort of the last sort of three or four years has just been horrendous for him, and he was he looked like the player that was being. I get just across the course of a game, but he looked like the player that was being sort of con- um, uh, uh, connected to like Manchester United and that kind of club, like left-footed ball carrying centre half. He just has this sort of 
very regal quality on the ball. Um, he's still 24, which is amazing if you think about it. Um, yeah. Because he seems to be around forever. And, and you've got other really young players. Silas is 24, 25. Um, uh, Alexander Newell, I know, is you know um, 27, but still young for a goalkeeper. If they can keep him there full time, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, Garassi, I think. Uh, I don't think Garassi is there next season um, because you got it. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, the exit clause hurts because, exactly. like, if you don't have the exit clause, you have to sell. Yeah. Like you, Frankfurt did with Kolomoani, but with yeah. the exit clause in place, twenty million is not going to be enough to replace him. No, no. So, um, I suppose there's a double-ended question: is oh, to two possible answers. One, like, how much more is there from some of these players, particularly some yeah. of the younger ones? Also, how good can the recruitment be when these inevitable things happen? Um, like, and 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 to be honest with you, there's good reason to believe that it will be it will be pretty decent. I mean, I, I um. I, I got I got pelted on Twitter for saying this, but like I think Max Middlestadt has had a really good season too. Like in the little bits that I've seen him, I think he's played really really well. And um, I love a sort of I love a, a fullback who can invert um, and who can play in the middle of the pitch. And I think he's done that to a really high standard. I think so. I I, I don't know how old he is. I think he's mid twenties too. But um, good player. So there's there's lots of little stories, and I I, I think um, you have. Also, and I don't think this should be disregarded, you have a lot of players playing well at the same time and seemingly feeding mm. off each other. And I'm curious to see what happens when that's not the case or when a couple of people get injured. Or if, for instance, if they lost, I don't know, Carazor in the middle of the pitch, who I think yeah, is, is also so really, good really them. good. Yeah. yeah, it's been so important. Then what does that do to Stiller, for instance? Like, how expressive does he become in that situation? Who... Like, how do those attacking pieces who um, so often this season have got the ball in like one-on-one situations yeah, or yeah. in 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 space, um, how does that affect the supply? These are the kind of questions I think Stuttgart will have to answer probably after the after the winter break. Well, Hiroki Ito, who has been yeah. outstanding yeah. as a centre-back really as well. Really you, good. You look at Stuttgart's underlying numbers, you know, when it comes to key passes um, and like uh, pass completion rate and all that sort of thing. I think they have like five or six guys in all those statistics in the top 20. That's outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah, I went on scout to write an article on Angelo Stiller and I'm like, oh yeah, his numbers are outstanding and so is the numbers of four or five other guys. Yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is like just, you look at that and you're like, wow, this entire team is just playing so well. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that wh- what does that, what does that tell you? Well coached. Uh, well coached. Yeah, system that suits the players like you, yeah you're so you give players a system in which they're able to actually express themselves and show how good they are which <laughs> sounds like a really simple thing but there's just so many coaches that don't do that i mean there's coaches that won european cups that don't do that who are <laughs> you know mentioning their names but now managing rover <laughs> yeah. who could that be you know but i so i think sebastian hunas gets yeah. stuttgart with his dad being, you know, I mean, he was born in, in Munich, but um, his father was the um, sporting director for a long time at Stuttgart, right? And then also, of course, um, the Hoeneß family is from Ulm originally. Um, you know, oh, they really? I didn't know that. I yeah, know yeah that. Dieter, um, Uli, they're all from Ulm, which That's is, of course, border, bordering uh, Neu-Ulm is in Bavaria, Ulm is in, in Baden-Württemberg, so it's right on the border. And, um, you know, that that also tells you that um, he is someone who gets the place. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because I think it's kind of... Um, oops, sorry, I kicked the desk. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of important in terms of building team which fits yeah. the expectation of the club, which is... Um, it's a huge deal. Like, even if you're successful or not, I think it's you, you, you've got to play in the right way. Um, to properly connect with your fan base, and you know, clearly that's happening. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to Ulm tomorrow. Yeah, armed with a little bit of local knowledge that I'll bore my wife. You're with going on the way. to go to the home of the Hernes clan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is this is this is it. I'll say it loudly on the Deutsche Bahn just so everyone knows. <laughs> no, I don't know what I'm talking about. Little do they know, I, I didn't know it 12 hours earlier. Um, 
Seb, before we leave, I, I want to touch on something that we discussed before the pod because I actually thought it was quite interesting. And that's Union Berlin. So many people yeah. ask us, you know, what's going wrong with Union Berlin? Yeah. And um, I actually thought that they played pretty decently well against Leverkusen. It's just, you know, it's Leverkusen. They're the best team in Germany. Um, and yes, I say that without any sort of judgmental saying towards Bayern Munich or whatever, you know, I actually firmly believe that Leverkusen at this very moment are the best team in Germany. 100%. They might actually be one of the best teams in Europe. Period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just watch them play. Um, It's very difficult to disagree with this. Um, And I thought they play quite well. Um, It's just, it's it's Leverkusen. Bayern Munich would have probably lost that game. So, and I thought they played quite well in the Champions League as well, midweek against Napoli. Um, Union Berlin are now last in the standings and I get the sense what really went wrong here is that they overcooked it on the transfer market. There's two while they were always bigger than the sum of their parts at the moment they're just smaller than the sum of their parts and there's too many players <laughs> Geraldo Becker um, who are just not buying into the system at the moment although in, in Becker's defense he has played quite well against Napoli but Zepp I think for Fischer, this international break, and like Union Berlin have come out and said, look, we're going to work with Fischer on fixing this. This international break must be quite welcome to just sit down and try to get the chemistry going again. Yeah, it's a hugely important time. So they're coming straight out of the international break and they've got Augsburg at home. And must even, win. Yeah, but even with Augsburg's new manager bounce, like, and they have yeah. been a little bit better. Right. Like, you gotta win that. You yep. gotta score um, in Copenhagen, and you gotta win the game. But and, and if you do that, I think it becomes very, very easy to turn the page in the season. Um, I, I know it's a strange thing to say given the sequence, but I'm not that worried about them. I just think there's. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about how they try to do too much too soon, and and they've they've sort of, um, I suppose, overloaded their Christmas tree with baubles. Um, yeah. Would be the kind of the seasonal metaphor that we'd we'd use here, but. It's a very fair point, and if you look at their incomings, and if you look at, they strengthen their side in a way that um, it feels like they bought players because they could, rather than necessarily because they fitted their needs. Is it? Um, and I can't think, with the exception of probably Robin Gerson's for the first three or four games, I think there's a single player who arrived over the summer that. I've actually been that impressed in any way with. Yeah. Um, I think Leonardo Benucci had a pretty good game in Napoli. I thought he played pretty well. And um, against Real. Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, sorry, you're quite right. He also did play very well against Real. But um, Fofana, no, um, not really. I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think he'll be a good player at some point. I think he's not quite ready. I think we also saw that sort of that, um, although obviously um, they made amends afterwards, that moment um with Fisher which led to a suspension was so ununion like. Yeah. Um that was really concerning. Um as Kral, not for me really, I don't think. Lucas Tassad is uh, barely played, I think if he has more than, you know, two hundred and fifty minutes this season, I'd be surprised. Um I I don't know what I think about Brendan Aronson. Um, I'm I'm a little bit poisoned against him because of his time in the Premier League, where I thought he was quite lightweight. Yeah, um, it wasn't physical enough, and I think that he's talented, definitely. Um, I'm just unconvinced about his role at Union. I think he has a role to play somewhere in the Bundesliga, um, but in this system, I don't know. I think um, Brendan rose too quick. That yeah. like high, a very expensive move from Salzburg to Leeds. Um, yeah, and you know we see this with US players; they believe they're hyped too soon, quite often. Really, I haven't heard that before. Um, you look at look at Geo, yeah. You know, and then social media explodes whenever they do something small. Or Christian Pulisic, yes. And social media just explodes and like, look how amazing he is. It's like, well, he, he's also missed sixty percent with injuries. <laughs> I feel like that's a really hard gig for someone their money because yeah, I think uh, that oh, it is, it is. Like to yeah. be, um, I remember when Pulisic came through at. Dormant. and I, I I've seen what you're talking about and what you're referencing there, like and, and the kind of reaction to it, and it's a that is a hard thing to shoulder. 
I guess, yeah. um, to kind of play under those circumstances. Nobody's fault. It's just the way of it. And it's also a reaction to kind of a lot of the snobbery that Americans have had to deal with um, uh-huh. from sort of European fans over the years. And I completely understand why they are retaliated to it. It would annoy the hell out of me too. Um, but then the player gets put in that situation. Um, so Aronson, I, I don't know. Like I, um, We said before we started recording that I, I, I think that um, Rene Kadera being available full time makes a huge difference to this team. Yeah, he's just he's last season. He, I, there were there were periods during last season where I thought he was among the best defensive midfielders in Germany, um, and without him, that midfield, which is just um, so compact, denies space so well, it's just not the same at all. Yeah. Um, I think they're okay. I, I, I think I think um, I like the way that they're interesting to see what you think about this. I like how. Um, I like how quickly Union stood behind their manager because yeah. to not do that in that situation would have felt a little bit of a betrayal of who they were um, and you know of the kind of the things that seem to matter to the club and the things we're told matter to the club and the fans and the organisation mm-hmm. so to see it as a kind of no he's the manager and he's staying like if that holds true then that's a kind of that's a that's a feather in their cap and I I'm, I He's for sure, as for sure as an outstanding um, organizer of football teams. Um, and I have no doubt that it will get a lot better quickly. But um, yeah, it's still a good moment, I think. It kind of reminds me of what Freiburg did with Streich, yeah. right? And yeah, then good, good um, Mainz did with Klopp. Uh, when they went down with Klopp, they, they kept them, right? Um, I think twice, actually. And so, you know, obviously Fischer isn't the issue here. Um, I, I think they overcooked it on the transfer market. I really do. I think they brought in too many players that didn't buy, didn't didn't buy yet into the system, or maybe will never. Completely um, forget the fact Kevin Folland is there, for example, right? Kevin and I just, Volland, God, yeah. yes, 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 yes. But like these are all players that it's kind of like when you play Football Manager on a cheat code and you just buy everyone, and it's just it just doesn't work. Um, and you kind of betray the system that worked for you previously. It kind of feels like that. It's too much of a good thing, right? Um, I think overeating on candy is another good analogy you brought up there. Same thing. Um, <laughs> and now you feel sick and sluggish. Like I, in retrospect, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I think letting jo- Jordan go on loan to Gladbach for Fafana yep. is a huge mistake. Jordan, you know? I know Jordan didn't score a lot of goals, but. So uh, Jordan's important. a problem for players um, yeah. to defend against, and uh, yeah, I remember seeing him it, it, like in person. Like he's one of the most awkward forwards in Germany. Um, yeah, and actually, that combination—I have to believe that there's a correlation between his departure and Geraldo Becker's decline. Just because I felt like Becker often yeah, used yeah, yeah. Um, Jordan as a kind of reference point of what he, whatever he was doing on the pitch, and it worked. Like Jordan occupied people. Yeah, Becker was absolutely brilliant at exploiting space and an absolute nightmare for a lot of defenders. Where when he would, you know, when he would make those runs into the channels and he drift wide um, away from Becker, and someone would have to go for him, and, and, and invariably it would be a mismatch because, um, well, Becker's quicker than electric current, pretty much, um, and he does not look like the same player. Look, last season people thought he was, you know, worth 35, 40 million euros yeah, and yeah. heading to some Premier League team. Looks nothing like that now. Yeah. Am I right in thinking he hasn't scored this season? No, he, he has scored. Let me just double check that. Okay. Um maybe think, maybe not in the Bundesliga. Not in the Bundesliga, but he's definitely yeah. scored he's scored in the Champions League. Right. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, but, um I don't remember that. That's how that's how you know. I mean he hasn't if it didn't leave an impression on me, did did it count? I mean <laughs> he hasn't he so he scored three goals and two assists in sixteen games across all competitions, uh two in the Champions League, none in the Bundesliga. And you know what that kinda of underlines your point though, because he is a player who plays off someone. And that also yep. kind of um makes me think that he's just not a difference player. He's a good player, but yep. he does need someone who has an impact around him to be a good player himself. And but that's isn't, sort of lacking at the moment. You can't expect- Isn't that what you'd say about the whole of Union, Manu? Like in mm, terms of yeah. those individual players, there are very few there are very few players there individually who can make a difference. Um and that's not meant to be disrespectful, it's just who they are. They are a unit. And yeah. um we were saying before we started recording, I was listening to Christoph Biermann 
um, talking to Raphael Honigstein on, on mm-hmm. their podcast, and he was talking about how some of the players there feel it seemed like they've forgotten that they are um, they're part of a mechanism, or that you know some of the sort of the uh, the dirtier work that Fisher had them doing a year yeah. ago. Some of them maybe think it's a little bit beneath them now. Now that they're Champions League players, and I I haven't played the game um, uh, to uh, you know to a high enough level to know that um, to know what it looks like when that happens. But it's pretty reasonable diagnosis, it seems. Yeah, or either have forgotten or have never learned it. Right, that's the new guys in the squad, um, and I think that I mean that's a re- I think that's a really accurate assessment. The way on, what made Union Berlin successful was not. Um, playing pretty football. It was no. never pretty. They cheated the system by outscoring the XG, right? And um, I don't buy a lot into XG. Look at Stuttgart and what they do. Um, or Gerasi, rather, what he does. Um, or like any successful team in German football, including Bayern Munich, heavily outscore the XG, right? Yep. That's just what good teams do. The problem is that Union Berlin played like a good team, outscoring the XG, and now they're not. And that is because they're playing, you know, a lot of players are not buying into what made this team successful in the first place. And I think ultimately they will be fine because they will they crash out of the Champions League. They will make some adjustments in yeah. the winter. Where Fischer will get cooking and then, you know, they'll finish mid-table somewhere and that will be fine. It will be a year of regression, um, which was probably going to come anyways. But, um, you know, you it think- is... What what one of the interesting patterns with Fisher is if you look at if you look at their turnover and the kind of uh, the average amount of time that a player is spent at the club, I think for some of these players we're beyond. It, I, I looked it up last season and it was about eighteen months, two years, yeah. like that for sort of first team regulars. I wonder if there's a little bit of a lifespan to his style of coaching in terms of for how long you can push a player to play in a certain way, and whether like instead of the renewal that they had. Year on year, obviously they, they they went out. They had to find like a, a you know a new centre forward every year for four years. Um, you know, like lost out our knee and they brought him back here and, and Jordan. You know, this year it didn't really happen. It felt like they were building on existing foundations and it didn't really lose anything either. And you wonder uh, whether kind of that's part of the chemistry as much as what they added. Yeah, and that they didn't the turnover of players going out wasn't big yeah. enough. They should have probably sold Becker in the summer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, uh, yeah. love watching him, but it also like, um, how is Becker now? 29, 28? Yeah. This was the year to get money for him. Yeah, it's the, 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 his prime years. Like, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of kind of keeping a defense together. Um, that's, yeah. that's fine. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I just think, um, and, and the, the, their dual pass, their recruitment has been generally excellent. Um, since promotion so I, I think it's kind of and also you, you you cannot plan for qualifying for the Champions League if you're in your Berlin no. you just can't <laughs> until it happens or Euro period no for sure for sure yeah. Um. so uh, yeah who was the player they let go last year the blonde boy who used to play midfield what was his name he scored the disallowed goal in Amsterdam and I've completely forgotten his name such as the turnover on your Berlin. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, I don't if, think this is the very best bit of audio content. But, no, um, but that's yeah. fine. We're doing this pretty much, you know, on the back Morton of the match. Thursby, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Is that him? I'm going I'm to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Morton Thursby. I liked him. I yeah. didn't think he should have gone. But that's that's the way of on your Berlin, the turnover side. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, Sap, unfortunately... We're pretty much out of time because we could probably talk about on your Berlin and remember their glorious Europa League run forever. Um, but before we go, two things. First of all, this show is brought to you by Bet Online. But second, what can you pluck? Let us know uh, where people can find you. So, uh, all right, for the Athletic, um, mm-hmm. so you can find me on there. Got a couple of interesting things coming up. I'm going to, uh, we said, I'm going to Heidenheim to interview Frank Schmidt. Um, on Wednesday morning so that'll be due in the next few days um, got a couple of interviews lined up which I can't quite talk about publicly yet but um, no, no, no. Uh, they should be hopefully uh, ones to look out for and then I don't know I 
plug the fact that St. Pauli top of the Zweite Bundesliga or the, the Zweite Bundesliga, the, the Hamburg is the capital city of Zweite Bundesliga football. I'm not sure. Like, I, you hope I that's changing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, yeah. Hamburg has Champions League football. It's just not a Hamburg based team. Yeah, Hamburg just don't play in it. But yeah, I mean, but there but, is literally Champions League football in the city of Hamburg this season. So, well, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, we'll take it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you have to take what you can get. Um, <laughs> programming note, guys. Um, obviously, we don't have a preview show because it's an international break, which also means this show comes out at a little bit of a different time than usual. Um, we will have you bonus show um, and transfer show as always. Um, Stefan will be hopefully back if we don't lose him at the Früh, Sepp, at Kölsch Carnival. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Can't believe you let him do that. I can't believe it either. We'll never see him again. Um, <laughs> we, oh, officially, he's there to interview Alonso for Transfermarkt. Um, yeah, we'll we've lost see. him at Früh. Forever we'll gone. Um, <laughs> gone too soon. Uh, so thoughts of prayers to Stefan, who's um, somewhere stuck in Köln. But uh, he'll be back, hopefully. And we'll be back soon with more. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.